All right. Welcome to the Decompression Chamber. I am your host, Andrea, and joining me this week is my pal, Skipper. How you doing today, Skipper? Uh, I'm doing well. Uh, just dealing with my cat this morning. But uh, yeah, it's uh, it's been a, a good 4th of July weekend. Awesome. Awesome. Well, yeah, we're only, well, depending on how many days, day weekend people have, um, I'm about halfway through, not quite. So uh, do you get Monday yeah. off? Uh, I do, and I do want to say to all the people watching this who are trying to change their remote control with less fingers, hey, good luck. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. You might have to get like a, like a channel switching wand that you can hold in your teeth. <laughs> I actually yeah. have a cousin who, yeah, he he blew off like half his hand throwing oh dynamite God. in the quarry as a child, and it's like, wow, you know. Uh, redneck stuff that we used to do. Yeah, yeah, just just basics, you know. Oh, great. Well, yeah. Hopefully, uh, hopefully, all of my uh, viewers slash listeners uh, keep all of their digits. Um, Be safe through this weekend and for the rest of their lives. Honestly, <laughs> but uh, but awesome. Well, uh, we'll we'll delve right into your background. Uh, where are you? Where are you from? What was childhood like? Sure. I grew up in uh, Toledo, Ohio, and, uh, you know, obviously famous for Jamie Farr and the Toledo Mud Hens and um, uh, a couple other little things. Um, but I grew up in a very blue class neighborhood. Um, my dad worked for UPS as a truck driver and, uh, you know, spent a good chunk of my life there in South Toledo. Then we moved to the suburbs for uh, a short number of years. And uh, I was that kid. It was like when I was 18, I moved out of my parents' house and I wanted to be on my own. And I've oh, pretty much great. been on my own ever since. So, Oh, fantastic. So, um, <clears throat> you know, 18, time to get out. Did you, was military on your radar at that point or just who cares? I'll, I'll work fast food and rent a place with a couple of guys. <laughs> No, what's funny is if you would have asked my parents when I was younger, hey, which of your three boys would go in the military? I would have been the dead last one. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, when I was 18, I, I I went to college and I actually started working with, I was at the University of Toledo, the Rockets, and I started working with the football team. Oh, and wow. uh, that was a really cool experience because I got to travel all over the U.S., see a lot of different places. Yeah. And when you're a college student and you're traveling and they're giving you per diem, that turns into beer money very quickly. So, oh, yeah. yeah, I've been <laughs> I've been passed out in some some really interesting places uh, because yeah. of that. But uh, it actually gave me a chance. Um, I had the opportunity to to move to the pros. Uh, I went wow. to the athletic equipment managers convention ended up we ended up partying with this guy and he was like i was supposed to be doing interviews but if you guys want he's like i like the two of you if you want to come to the browns the way the, the wow. pros work is they get all these people who come out and they give them the worst jobs ever of course and within a month everybody's gone but if you stick around they kind of find a place for you within the organi organization it might not be what you think yeah but they'll find some place for you and i was all ready to do that um because I was kind of up in the air. I had, I had talked to a recruiter about coming in the Marines as a reservist mm -hmm. was thinking about it. And the university was like, Hey, we really, we want you to work more. They mm -hmm. gave me my own teams. Uh, so it was a really cool opportunity. But after seven, uh, after September 11th, 
Mm. It wasn't even 30 days and I joined the delayed entry program. And in January of 2002, I stepped on the yellow footprints at Paris Island. Wow. Wow. It's uh, it's funny how quickly it moves. Um, you know, in terms of joining everyone I've talked to so far, I think there's this myth that, you know, signing away any amount of your life, people really weigh the decision and it's just everyone I've talked to, it's more of like a shoot from the hip type thing. We're like, okay, well mm-hmm. it's go time. Let's, let's do this. And, uh, it sounds like, you know, same, same case for you where it's like, oh, wow, this is, this is moving a lot faster than I anticipated. <laughs> now. Yeah. I, I only really considered the Marine Corps because my grandfather was a Marine. That was the only service I knew anything about, but, oh. um, uh, other than watching movies on Hollywood, I did not really have much of an idea as to like what to expect. Yeah. Yeah. Now, um, your grand, you said your grandfather served, uh, what, uh, what war conflict or era was he in? Uh, he enlisted like a month before world war two ended. <laughs> and, <laughs> That's uh, the sweet spot. <laughs> it, it was the, because his mother wouldn't let him enlist until he was 18. So it was like, he turned uh, 18 and okay. boom, it yeah. enlisted. Um, so he was sent to Paris Island. They find out that the war is, is over. And uh, <clears throat> he ended up at Lejeune mm-hmm. and ended, he was the general's driver. And <laughs> wow. next thing you know, Korea kicks off. So now he's driving the general all around in Korea. And he had some cool stories he was yeah <clears throat> excuse me he was in uh las vegas when they did tests of the uh atom bomb Whoa. uh so yeah he had some some pretty cool stories i wish he would have lived till i enlisted mm-hmm. uh because i would have asked him way more and way more in depth but uh you oh, know yeah. he, he died a couple years before so jeez. Oh, well and, and how long was he uh a marine or active rather he did standard four years and then became a police officer and uh yeah had uh done that for a full career and yeah yeah raised um, a family that's that's amazing and and really with uh you know you're you're a marine i was navy but uh you know a big thing that they harp on with boot camp is you know history tradition yeah and uh and it's it goes beyond just the core itself i mean like you have personal experience where your grandfather was a marine and uh and that that feeds into that esprit de corps as well wow um so okay so you get to paris island in uh in january of 2022 or uh, 2002 now so just uh over 20 and a half years ago now um now did you sign up as a reservist or uh, what, no, was, I, what was the at, plan? At that point, I decided I was going to do full active duty. I was ready. You know, we knew we were going to war yeah. and, uh, you know, I was ready to put myself in the line of fire so that someone else didn't have to. Mm-hmm. Um, it actually took me several years before I finally got deployed. Uh, Interesting. I, the job I got was administration. They mm-hmm. sent me up to Quantico. I worked for the IG, which was great training. I sure. uh, learned a lot more history of the Marine Corps and learned a lot about how the military operates mm-hmm. uh, kind of behind the scenes that you don't see. Sure. And um, so that was really interesting. A lot of law stuff. Mm-hmm. And um, I kept requesting to go to Iraq and kept getting denied. So finally, I said, you know what? I'm just going to I've already 
I'm already a junior in college. I'm just going to apply for this program to finish my college, get commissioned Smart. because as an officer, it's easier to go. So okay. that's what I did. Um, I went to OCS because I had not graduated. I was not commissioned out of OCS. They actually sent me back to Eastern Michigan University to finish my degree. Wow. And, that is uh, that is an interesting order of operations there. <laughs> Wow. It, it did get me a meritorious promotion to sergeant, though. So I went right. from corporal to sergeant. Um, <clears throat> Great. Year and a half, you know, is all it took me to finish my degree. Got that. And uh, the Marine Corps sends you to the basic school as an officer to teach you how to become an officer. Sure. And uh, yeah, uh, March of 2010 is when I finally got to Afghanistan. I was out there for a year. Wow. Wow. Okay. So um, as you mentioned, it was several years. So uh, Timeline-wise, I mean, you finish uh, what, like, an, finish boot camp in late winter, early spring of 2002. You go to yep. your first command in Quantico. How long were you enlisted before? Let me make sure I got the order of operations right. OCS <laughs> school commission, basic school. Yes, okay. I was okay. commissioned in December of 2007. So oh, wow. it was, yeah, it was almost six years enlisted, and then uh, you know I. I was commissioned a uh, state active duty until uh, tw November of 2015. Wow. Okay. All right. So um, 2010, of course, you go go to Afghanistan. What? Uh, oh, and then the other question too, because this ha I've talked to uh, another guy who was prior enlisted, became an officer, switched jobs entirely. Is that the same case for you? Yeah. Uh, the Marine Corps does gives you very little. <laughs> uh, input on jobs. And when you're enlisted, yeah. you can get it as part of your contract, but they'll give you like a general, you know, okay, you could be this or this. Right. Uh, right. As an officer, you don't get any choice nope. at all. Unless unless if you are uh, a doctor or, well, you're not going to be a doctor in the Marine Corps. No, uh, no. But uh, if you're a lawyer, that's the only way you have to have a law license to practice law in the, of course. the Marine Corps. So uh, that's the only way you can get a pilot's contract or what mm -hmm. they call a ground contract. Uh, but even the pilot's contract's not guaranteed because if you don't pass, you're, you could be end up as a grunt. So oh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. that's, uh, but I ended up getting my number two choice, which wow. was uh, logistics. And I'm so glad I got that because my number one choice was engineering. Mm -hmm. And when I finally worked with engineers in Afghanistan and realized that's what you guys do. Oh, I'm <laughs> so glad that's what, what is it like latrine construction or what, what, what do engineers do? I have no idea. Um, you know, I've worked construction, so I've, uh, I can kind of speak from the civilian side. You're kind of, <clears throat> you're not the foreman. I, I thought you'd be like the foreman on construction projects and sure. bridge building and all that. No, you're the permitting guys oh, <laughs> who no. work for the county. Like you're looking at people's plans and saying, yeah, that looks good. Go do it. <laughs> Holy cow. Okay. Yeah. Logistics, probably a lot more interesting and I probably more applicable to if that's something you want to do in civilian life. Right. Or not so much. Oh, yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah. And I'll tell you what really turned me on to engineering was going through TBS. You know, they they present to you all the MOSs and you get a chance. And uh, for us, they took us out to the engineering range where we were going to see some C4 and we actually got a chance to build our own C4 and, you know, all right. blow it up. <laughs> and, Marine uh, arts and crafts. <laughs> <laughs> that's exactly what it was. Cause they give me this block of white C4 and they're like, smash it into a ball and everyone's making it into a baseball. And then you put the things in and then set it up 
on the target and walk away and blow it up. Sure. Uh, yeah, I didn't do that. I totally went Bill Murray in Caddyshack. I turned mine into a little bunny. <laughs> <laughs> How'd that I'm go doing over? The- Oh, all the other lieutenants thought it was hilarious. The the sergeant who was uh, the instructor just kind of rolled his eyes because I'm sitting there, I'm doing the voice. I'm like, so here he is. He's going to meet with the uh, with his friends, the rabbit and the squirrel. <laughs> Beautiful. Beautiful. <laughs> I love it. That was exactly how I was as an officer. Um, enlisted, you kind of expect that. Sure, um, sure. As well, you're, you're aware. You're prior enlisted, and if recollection serves, I mean, only about... 12% of the Marine Officer Corps comes from the enlisted ranks. I mean, you are quite Yeah, there's very few part. of us, very few of us Mustangs. Yeah. Because um, it, it, it is difficult to to go to school while you're in. Oh, uh, yeah. A lot of people do it, but it's it's a lot of workload added on to what you're doing. So, of course. And, and the thing is, your leadership does not care. Oh, no. Like, oh, <laughs> Oh, you've got college tonight? Yeah, we don't care. You're going to stay late and do this. So you yep. you, you always run into that. Mm-hmm. And um, But I was very typical as enlisted. Um, as you know, when you check into a unit, you have, you're given a check-in sheet, and you have to walk all around to all these places and have them sign it. And it's really just a way that the, the military gets you to familiarize in your new space. Sure. Uh, but it's just one of those things that we do, and everybody messes with the check-ins. Of course. And you know that's where people it's now civilians are starting to pick up on where we do this like with blinker fluid and stuff like that yeah i had uh i was at the ig's office and no one was ever sent to me well Mm -hmm. i had a buddy who was a joker worked at the ipac and he sends this marine to me and he's like he's like luke uh lance corporal hill told me i need to get an id 10t for you which you that joke is you tell people yeah you need an id 10t form write it down what they're writing down is idiot (laughs) <laughs> and they're going to walk around looking for this form. Yeah. So I knew I had to do something. So I'm like, oh, he sent you here from that. He knows I haven't had that in months. I'm like, hold on. So I look up. I'm like, you got to go back down to the battalion. Sorry that he made you walk all this way. You got to go to room 14. I go, there's a Lance Corporal there. Uh, De Jesus is his name. Go in there. He's got it for you. <laughs> and uh, like 20 minutes later, I get a call from the RP. And the RP is the religious program sailor. Mm-hmm. And he calls me and he's like, did you just send a check-in down here to find a Jesus? Oh <laughs> I go, yeah. He goes, the chaps is in laughing hysterically. <laughs> it's always good when your chaplain has a good sense of humor, you know, and can appreciate oh, I the even, hazing. <laughs> I even got stopped by my CO and he was like, are you the Arthur that sent the Marine for looking forward to Jesus? I was like, yes, sir. I am. Ah, oh, perfect. Perfect. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I mean, it's probably good in some, uh, non-official capacity to put people through some bullshit so they can learn to sn- <laughs> snuff it out, you know, sniff it out a little bit earlier and, and make sure it trickles down to the next generation. Smart. <laughs> uh, hilarious. But uh, yeah, that's that's exactly how it was. I learned very, you know, when you go through the basic school and or oh, ROTC, yeah. they, they tell you, oh, as an officer, you have to act this. And they want you they want you to be prim and proper. And you absolutely do need to do that. But you also learn don't what they don't teach you is not to change the person that you are, because yeah. I'm sure you experienced officers where you're like, this guy's fake as fuck. Yeah. You know, oh, yeah. these guys who you can tell they're putting on a false front. Yeah. 
I was never that type. I was like, look, I'm not perfect, but you're going to see all my dents and dings. Yeah. And, yeah. and we'll just move forward from there. Absolutely. And, uh, it, um, I think it served me well. I, uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, I had a lot of fun and, you know, it, it was a great experience, great life experience. Uh, that's awesome. Well, and, and yeah, there's standards and there's certain wickets you have to hit, but like anything else, there's more than one way to skin a cat. There's always going to be mm-hmm. a different development of style, and and certainly, who who you are as a person is going to dictate that. Um, all right. So uh, going back a, a little bit, uh, Afghanistan 2010, but then you mm-hmm. stay in till 2015. What were the next five years like, and and what was the deciding factor for you uh, getting out? Um, well, uh, Afghanistan was great. That's mm-hmm. the first thing I I like people to know. Like. It is really, it's so de-stressful when you go someplace and you just have to do your job because as, yeah. as uh, an officer or a leader, you're constantly learning or you're constantly wondering, okay, are my guys going to get a DUI or beat the crap out of their wives this week? And you're dealing with all this drama. Mm-hmm. When you get to uh, a combat situation, you wake up at seven in the morning, you start doing your job. You're doing it till 10 at night yep. uh, on a standard day. Mm-hmm. A longer day, you're doing it all night long. Oh, sure. um, but that makes things so easy because it's, you know, you, you know what the day is going to be. Uh, you're focused on it. Uh, yeah, there, there's stupid stuff that happens and you're like, you know, oh, F this, F that. Uh, but it's it's shared misery and everybody really bonds. So that's one thing. It's a very positive experience, I thought, uh, because of that situation. Mm-hmm. Um it's not for everybody. I've I had to redeploy people who, you know, for whatever reason, just could not keep their shit together. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, but for those that can, you become very tight. I still talk to Marines I was deployed with today. Oh, wow. Um, from there, um, I because I was a lieutenant in Afghanistan. Mm-hmm. And uh, when I left there, I became a company grade. And that's where I I had my own company. That's where mm-hmm. I you know, became the battalion S4. Now I'm the one making all the decisions. And uh, it's incredibly frustrating as an officer. Uh, (laughs) Oh, I'm sure. (laughs) It's good. um, It's good to have. It's good to have the decision making ability. And that's what everyone wants. They want to be in command. Mm -hmm. But it's a lot of it's a lot of weight on your shoulders. I I actually lost a Marine in a training accident. And um you know, um, and we'll get into this, but I had uh, a spouse who was very much a dependa. Uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> she she tried to wear my rank on her shoulders and oh, just boy. was one who, oh, I know how the military works, but really had no clue. I remember I had a company. I I We'd sent uh, a platoon out to the field to, to do some training. I come home. I'm literally taking off my boots after walking in the door and I get a call and, hey, sir, there's a training accident. Give you a warning. We lost a Marine, at least one. I don't know. And the the duties tell me I don't know any of the details. And I was like, nope, it's fine. I'm coming in. We'll figure it out together. Hang up. And immediately my wife was like, why are you going back in? You have people to do that. And I was like, I don't think you understand. This is not a delegation of responsibility. Like, yeah, this is, we lost somebody. They, yeah. they are gone from this earth. And it, uh, it ended up being a, a Marine who was a great Marine. He was a father. Um, it had, had 
you know, several kids. Uh, and I was like trying to explain to her that, no, no, this could be it for my career. A Marine is dead. Oh, yeah. I'm, I'm the one it's who huge. signed the order. Um, so, and I was fully willing to take on that responsibility. It was, you know, a Marine was lost. If it's, if it's on me as an officer, you have to be ready to accept that responsibility. Yeah. And, um, you know, a, a dad's business. not going to come home because to, to his kids, because I signed an order. Mm -hmm. Um, and for years I dealt with some guilt, uh, about that, oh, yeah. but, um, you know, the general, because there was a safety investigation and there always is, it goes up to the first general. And, uh, I remember I went through the whole thing and I was like, okay, this could be it for me. And my military career is over, but the general, he, uh, he was in a, a, a his background was in a unit that was similar and he was, he looked at everything that we did. He was like, you know, the, the Sergeant was teaching something dangerous. Mm -hmm. uh, he, he removed everyone else from the safety aspect, but he put himself at the most dangerous point, which is what we teach our leaders. And he said, you know, at the end of the day, being a Marine is a very dangerous job oh, yeah. and just, you know, chalked it up to that because the Sergeant had done everything right. It just, um, what had happened was they were in a vehicle he was sitting outside of it and they were he was showing the marines how to get it out of a dangerous position and the the ground had collapsed and it rolled on top of them oh, so um it was it was a situation that you know it was incredibly tragic but you know at the end of the day that marine did the the right thing so mm -hmm. um you know i i had to deal with the guilt that's part of the ptsd i deal with today um mm -hmm. i've kind of it took me a couple of years, but I've, you know, come to terms with it. I'm like, yeah, I picked him for that job because he was the best one. Yeah. Um, and had anyone else done it, it probably could have ended up worse. Absolutely. Um, yeah. But uh, yeah, uh, I, I did get to see the best and the worst of the Marine Corps uh, mm -hmm. during those years. Oh, uh, sure. That was ultimately why I got out because I had PTSD. There were things that were happening that were not right. Uh, and I was getting panic attacks. And I was cognizant enough to realize that, hey, the Marines are picking up the slack because I'm having these. Yeah. And I didn't want uh, I didn't want the Marines to not have me at 100 percent. So I said, you know what, I'm just going to walk away. I walked away. I, I came back as a reservist for a couple of years just to see what that was like. It was a, a, another good experience. Oh. And, uh, yeah, I'm I, I use my show today. Uh, to fight against the injustices that I was seeing. Mm -hmm. um, I, I really, you know, I, I really understand. Well, I try to understand people like yourself uh, who've been in the Marine Corps it's, or been in the military. It's mm -hmm. not easy as a female in any service. Sure. And uh, right now, I, if I had a daughter going in the Marine Corps, just knowing the sexual assault numbers, yeah. I would probably be like, look, I would reconsider. Yeah. Um, just because, you know, I was in a unit that definitely screwed up the sexual assault reporting, the orders, everything. And I, yep. I like I'm sitting there watching this chaos and it's just being accepted as a cost of doing business when it doesn't have to be. Yeah. So yeah. it was stuff like that. I was like, OK, I'm I'm going to walk away. And now I, I bring on a lot of people who are survivors of military sexual trauma, stuff like that, because. You know, I want to fight stuff like that. Um, yeah. Well, you and, know, the stuff that happened to me. Well, and, you know, military sexual trauma is 
it has its own acronym, MST. It doesn't stand for mm. Mountain Standard Time. And I, I mean, that's how common, that's how prevalent it is. And a lot of people make fun of, oh, we got to do yearly, yearly training on how not to rape people. It's like, no, literally, you have to do it because it's that much <clears throat> of a rampant problem. Um, and I don't... And it's starting to trickle into our veterans' ranks. You as a female, yeah. you know, as you join veteran organizations, you're going to find that they're openly hostile because it's men who haven't, there's a big chunk of them who never served even with women. Uh, mm -hmm. I was an MOS that I did. And, you know, I had a lot of respect. You know, you have that, it, it, you get the bell curve, you get that 10% where they're very feminine and it's like, okay, you need to, to find something else to do because you're in a yeah. macho organization and you are not adapting. Exactly. Then you get the, the 70% who they're going to adapt, but they still, you know, they're still very feminine. Mm -hmm. uh, what I always really respected were the ones who, you know, were very feminine, but they were still hard nosed and still did the job. And we're like, no, I'm going to do it, you know. And then you get those who are like, go way macho. <laughs> it's like, yeah, way okay. overcompensating. Yeah. The ones yeah. who are like, come on, let's do this, sir. And I'm like, okay, let's, okay, I'll let you take the lead on this one. I'll follow. Right, right. Yeah, tap, tap the brakes just a hair. Well, and I, I was always uh, blown away um, just with the statistics, like talking about military sexual trauma, um, mm -hmm. just almost, I mean, not every single time, but the vast majority of times, you know, alcohol was involved and mm -hmm. uh, just how, how much of a role that played in it where, it, but then alcohol was really told touted maybe not officially but almost implicitly as like part of the military culture it's like guys this is a major contributing factor mm -hmm. uh, to, I, to these I happen to know right now of an issue of rufinol being used um, yeah. you know through through the military and that violates multiple orders because it's, oh, it's yeah. a controlled substance yeah. um, so marines who are getting a hold of that they're not just they're not just doing a sexual assault they're doing they're breaking several roles of the ucmj so yeah yeah no it's uh really really awful stuff and uh and yeah and it's you know military culture really is a very narrow window kind of you know as you describe it's there's only certain type of people who can fit into that and and probably not all of the female population can fit into that and you know, i will tell you I truly believe Congress needs to do major investigations. I, if I were Congress or if, if, if I had someone uh, who's in Congress ask me what to do, I would say you need to build a separate organization like an internal affairs, mm -hmm. put them right next to the military and have them investigate the military. Because I'll tell you, like I saw cases where it was like I knew there was a sexual assault, even though I wasn't there. It was like I knew the people involved. Yeah. I knew the situation. It was like, yeah, there was a sexual assault. But yet you have a, a commanding officer who has the authority to say, no, we're not going to do an investigation. And an investigation is not done. Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, you know, my whole thing was always, look, just do the investigation. Yeah, it costs extra money. But at least at least with an investigation, you get findings of fact. Yep. And. If ever, you know, that's the other thing. There's, when you leave from a command, everything from that command, all the baggage gets left behind. Yeah, and that's yeah. also where you get these problems, where you get these people in the military who are sexually assaulting people. What they do is just ask for orders, go to a new command, and they can restart doing it. Yeah. Uh, I, 
I really truly believe there needs to be a database that whenever someone is investigated for, uh, you know, and, and just pick special crimes, sexual assault, sexual uh, harassment, right. uh, hazing, you know, those things that we're really trying to combat, put those into a database mm -hmm. so that when Congress, you know, because this is how you get promoted as an officer, uh, all your name goes in front of Congress and the, there's a board with each service that recommends these people mm -hmm. and Congress can go through and look at all this stuff. Normally yeah. it's just a rubber stamp, but if they had a database to say that, look, this guy's been, he's been um, investigated for sexual harassment at three different commands. He's probably a guy that we don't want to put in command. It's probably a guy that we don't want to put in any type of really leadership position. Well, yeah. um, but yet they, they keep putting them in these command roles. And what you have is now, POSs who have now gone, from, you know, from being just your general POS to now they're in charge and they're protecting others. And that's how you get situations yeah. like Fort Hood or the base that I'm near, which mm -hmm. has a lot of problems, uh, yeah. 29 Palms. That's mm -hmm. how these, that's, it, you get people who protect each other uh, yeah. because oh, they're yeah. okay with what they're doing. Well, it, it's, it's like any other crime. It doesn't just start off with like full-blown rape. I mean, it, it's... Yeah you know, incrementally, and then you're adding gas to the fire with, oh, they're promoted, they have even more of a position of authority that they have already mm -hmm. shown they are going to abuse. Um, and they absolutely that's... do abuse the whistleblowers, too. Oh, I, for I've, sure. I've they seen that firsthand. That's what happened to me. I had my privacy violated by family advocacy. And when I asked for a uh, an investigation, which is supposed to happen, they said, no, that was a conversation between between two friends and i'm like that was someone who was first off my therapist uh so oh, that was a violation secondly they could have uh impacted they they do an incident determination board whenever there's any type of uh issue and mine was domestic violence uh that had happened against me oh, uh, it went before this board and they said no it wasn't an issue well this person had input into that board but was not telling me that they were communicating with my abuser and sharing private information about me. Oh my God. <laughs> just, <laughs> ah, and just mishandling <laughs> everything. Yeah. Well now it's, yeah, it's starting to make much more sense yeah. why you decided active duty. <laughs> Forget it. And my whole thing was I was a captain. If mm -hmm. they'll do it to a captain, they'll do it to any other rank below. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, who don't have uh, the means or, you know, even the, the foresight of, you know, how to see their case through. I'm writing down all my stories right now. Uh, I might turn it into a book. If I do, oh. it'll probably be like a, this is how I didn't become one of the 22 a day. Because I'll tell you, I, I had, you know, I remember very clearly I had a day where on um, 29 Palms, I was sitting outside of building 1707 for those who've been there. That's the training building. Mm -hmm. And I remember thinking, this is how those who are taking their lives, this is exactly how they feel. And I, I totally get it now. Yeah. Uh, I, you know, I knew I wasn't going to have a plan to hurt myself, but I, I, I empathize with everybody who has suicidal ideations now. Oh yeah. It's um, yeah. There, there's definitely been some times where, because it's just, it's not just intelligence, but it takes a certain amount of creativity when you're in such a depressive state to see a way out of it. Mm -hmm. And when you don't see a way out of it, it's what else is there to do? Uh, you know, you see, yep. see suicide as your only option or, or hurting yourself. And um, it's, oof, that, that is a dark, dark day. And, and having, you know, the, 
the courage and the and the patience to to see it through to the next day you know hopefully there's a little more light shown on you that that you don't resort to that mm -hmm. what the military should be doing is is making everyone who's within six months of getting out make them absolutely see a therapist because it's just being in the military, you're going to have some type of PTSD. You're you're going to be put in situations of trauma. That's what we do. We run towards the sound of gunfire. Mm -hmm. um, so ju just make them see a therapist in those last six months. That's all I'm saying. Yeah. Uh, because at least then they'll have a diagnosis. Veterans who don't have a diagnosis, I, now I'm pretty good at spotting them because mm -hmm. you can just tell in the eyes. You're like, okay, you got that look. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah. Uh, those who haven't gotten treatment are going to have a very hard road. At least while they're in the military, you can order them to treatment. You can give them a diagnosis. Yes. And, you know, at least then we still have control over them. We can make them do this stuff. Once they're veterans, if they don't want to get help, they're not going to get help. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Then they're, yeah, they're out, out in the ether and uh, yeah, much harder to track and to treat. Um, now, for you, when you transitioned from active duty, did you go directly to reserves? And what was the civilian side of, of your life? Did you have a plan? Oh, no. I, I got out and I ran. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing wrong That's, with that. I, a, a big reason of me getting out is I didn't want to hate the Marine Corps. I hated the people who I was – who were my leaders because they sucked. I mean, I even had – my XO was harassing me after, two weeks after I was out. Uh, yeah. And I was like, dude, I'm out. Just Yeah, this is counterproductive. Like, yeah, I don't get what the hell you're doing. Um, and, uh, you know, of course, I did end up reporting that. And the Marine Corps investigated itself and said, hey, we didn't do anything wrong. Of uh, course, yeah. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, it, it was, I, I was, I felt I was done. I, I went and that's where I started getting into uh, construction and because um, I used a lot of my safety experience from the, the military oh, yeah. to, to get that job. Smart. And um, yeah, I, it, it set me up very well um, for later on stuff. But I, I've done several jobs since I've been out of some really fun stuff using my military experience. Um, but I did one job where I was working with uh, like nothing but other veterans or reservists. Yeah. So we, even though we were all different services, like I could say a word, everybody knew exactly what I meant. Yeah. And it was like, we were a strong team. And I was that's like, great. you know what? I missed this. And that's what got me to go back to the reserves. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Um, and so getting into the reserves, I mean, were you able to stay in logistics or I imagine uh, you keep your rank or how did that work? Yeah, kind of. I still worked out of the S4, and the S4 is the staff four, and four stands for logistics. Uh, but I actually worked as the suppo, and I was really excited to do that because when I became an officer, everyone talked bad about supply. They're like, don't be a supply officer. You're going to get fired and all this stuff. Yeah. Well, after I, I became an S4 and I'm working with these suppos, I'm like, they actually have kind of a nice job. Yeah. And, um, you know, I learned from... Yeah, I, I learned from other people. They were like, no, if you know what you're doing, supply is one of the greatest jobs. So I jumped at the chance to do it. And yeah, I, like there's all these myths in the military and you find these supply guys who are like, no, you can't have stuff. I was the opposite. I was like, oh, do you want that? You want to take this with you? And my Marines were like, sir, you're giving away all this gear. I'm like, it's, we're not giving away. We're making them be accountable for it. So next month, you don't have to count it. And they were like, 
oh, so less work for us. Okay, yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's, and when, that's when you have grunts and you're telling them, here, take this stuff, they're like, are you serious right now? I'm not going to get in tr-. Like, they're looking around like, I'm not going to get Yeah, am I on candid camera? Like, is that a new rate? Your uh, new MOS? Yeah. Oh, if you break it, we'll buy a new one. It's good. Wow. <laughs> Gotta love it. Yeah. Sure, that was a nice change of pace for them. <laughs> All right. And then but you, yeah. uh, you were time. reserves for three years, you said, or, or how long? Uh, I did two years. Two okay. years of drilling reservist um just because i wanted to see it i had worked with reserves i heard all these nightmare stories but in afghanistan i had as our security forces we had a a unit that was an active duty unit and they were horrible like these guys wanting to get them to do just the littlest amount of paperwork was like pulling teeth Uh, um and uh so when they left this reserve unit came in and at first they really pissed me off because they kept asking for uh, 60 millimeter mortars, which are your normal company mortars. Mm-hmm. And uh, I was like, yeah, the Marine Corps has not authorized these things for in country. They specifically said no, mm-hmm. but you guys have high Mars available, which is a much larger <laughs> missile mm-hmm. and it's GPS guided. So it's much more accurate and you don't have to wake up a general to use it to, because to shoot mortars, you need approval from a general. Oh, I was like, to get approval from this, it's a major. You're you're picking up the phone and calling a major. Yeah. Uh, and they were like, well, we just want to do the right thing. And I was like, okay, I got that. You just want to go through the, just go through the motions. And they go, yeah, once we have our denial letter, we're going to move on. And I was like, okay. And from then on, I worked really well with them. They were from yeah. Ohio, where I was from. Oh, cool. Um, so, like, even though we started off rocky, I ended up really enjoying working with them well yeah if, if you don't agree on how to approach something if you can understand at least where they're coming from then it's like oh okay well then i understand and kind of how we can work together now and we've, we've got a game plan so oh that's great i uh i remember i had to, to to do a resupply to them and i hadn't gotten many chances to go outside the wire so i volunteered to be on this convoy and my roommate was a second lieutenant and he was purposefully made the convoy commander by our XO because he was this grunt and he's going to teach this lieutenant what to do, you know, which is what you're supposed to you sure. give him the experience. So I become the assistant convoy commander and he writes up his plan. I look it over and it's all good. And, uh, you know, we were giving the brief and it was a solid brief and the mm-hmm. XO had nothing to really complain about it at the end other than well your bump plan needs some work and it was just bump plan is okay if we if we hit an ied and now the vehicle's trashed where are we going to move everyone else type of thing right and um you know he he just was like oh they're going to go into this vehicle and the xo was like well, what if that vehicle's down you gotta you gotta think these things out so he he's giving him a, a an ass chewing and uh, not a bad one, but he's just trying to get his point across. And finally looks over at me and goes, well, what do you have to say, Lieutenant? Now, we're, we're only going about 15 clicks, not mm-hmm. far at all. And I stand up and I go, we're going to the p- patrol base, sir. It's like driving to Wisconsin. We zip in, we zip out. <laughs> and I swear to God, he lost it. Because I was right. We're, we're doing a normal thing. Yeah. But it was just that using the line from Stripes, because I knew that was one of his favorite movies. But I mean, he Not was his language. Yep. He's laughing hysterically. And I learned very quickly in the military, you make people laugh, you're not going to get in trouble too often. That's, and that's then true. we go to get on the convoy the next day. And for people who don't know, 
you, you drive outside the base and then you go condition one, which mm -hmm. is round in chamber. And a good officer goes vehicle to vehicle and inspects everyone doing it. So then, you know, everybody's ready. Yeah. So I'm in, I'm in a vehicle towards the back and I've got a turret gunner and I'm like, Hey, get out of the turret. I'm up there. And he's like, sir, this is where I'm, I'm like, I don't care. I'm ordering you. You won't get in trouble. I will. Yeah. So he gets down and I get up there and I take my helmet and I dip it down. So I'm the XO and the, uh, the convoy commander are walking they're inspecting everybody, but they don't immediately know it's me. And they, they get to me and I'm on the 50 Cal and I rack it back and I go, sir, I say we do the village, the whole fucking village. man." <laughs> and the XO is like, Oh my God, opens the door. He tells the Lance Corporal, get the Lieutenant out of the, 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 uh, uh, gunner's nest and do not let him up there. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, it got their attention, so you know it did. that's always. Uh, it was a platoon, right? Uh, actually, that was um, technically a battalion. It was a battalion, but we. Oh no, I mean like the we... movie line. Oh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. okay. <laughs> Wasn't sure if recollection served or not, but uh, it's that's great. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, you, I can tell you quotes from movies. I'm, you know, I'm very much like, you know, we're both a fan of Anthony. I'm like oh, yeah. him in that, that sense. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I I never realized how much I quoted movies, uh, <laughs> you know. And 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 that's that's the thing, like, in listening to him, I, I've watched a lot of the same movies, or, you know, he'll reference one. I'm like, oh, you know, I should really see that. And then I'll turn around and reference these same movies to people who were born in the 90s, and they're, what, what are you talking about? Uh, yeah. <laughs> it's like, oh, that's huh? right. Yeah. <laughs> or they'll laugh and I'll be like like I, my uh my nephew laughed at Rick and Morty. Uh, it was a joke that was clearly about a, a, an 80s show and I looked at him and I was like you don't even understand that joke, do you? He's like, "No, I get it." I'm like, "Okay, what show?" And he's like, "Show." Yeah. I'm like, "Yeah, you don't understand the joke." Yeah. No, no, you don't <laughs> understand its historical roots. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So uh, you know, out of the reserves now, but, uh, you know, cruising along in civilian life, but, but more importantly, mm -hmm. let's, uh, let's get to your show, uh, veteran nation. Tell me about that. Yeah. Um, so I, I started writing cause I, my degrees in journalism, um, which really helped me in the military because being used to writing as an officer, you write all the goddamn time. Oh yeah. Um, so I was used to to writing and most importantly, rewriting. I'll give this advice to everybody. If you want to be a better writer, write something down, then rewrite it a day later and keep doing that. Do that at least three or four times and you'll be a better writer. Mm -hmm. um, so I learned that and I started doing uh, sports journalism while I was still in because, hey, if you want to send me to a, a basketball game or a football game for free, I'll do it. And I also started doing all the sports that they couldn't find anyone else to cover. They were like, <laughs> women's golf? Why would I go do that? And I was like, oh, I definitely want to do that. And the yeah. guy was like, the editor was like, why? I'm like, oh, because in the hospitality areas, they give free alcohol at the golf events. They don't do that for football. <laughs> he's like, yeah, he's like, I'm going to go with you. And next thing you know, we're, we're half, half in the bag at the uh, <laughs> ladies golf tournament. Like, Hey, all right. Uh, yeah. Well, that's what journalists do is drink heavily. So you're oh, carrying yeah. on another proud tradition. <laughs> so I started doing that. And then I started doing writing for other stuff. And, uh, I was asked, I, I started doing these interviews for uh, this 
network called NRN, New Right Network. Okay. And it was started by one of the guys who created the Donald. And uh, so I started doing yeah, that. Famous and, Reddit page. Yep, yep. And uh, like he and I very quickly bonded because he has a very in, inappropriate sense of humor as I do. Perfect. And I, I was writing all these stories and I was doing fact-based, but I was writing jokes in them too. Of course. And he was like, keep it he was like, I caught that joke. I was like, I wondered <laughs> if anyone would. Yeah. And uh, I was doing stuff like that. And he was having me do inter live interviews with people. And um, then it turned into, he was like, we want you to do a military show. And I was like, well, what are you talking? And it was very much a vet bro show that they were pitching me. Mm -hmm. And I was like, you got to know, I'm not like I was in the Marine Corps. I was in the most macho place ever. Yeah. Mach machismo, like I'm turned off to it. Like, right. oh, I don't care what kind of car you got. I don't care what kind of guns you have. You're not impressing me one bit. Yeah. Um, yeah. So like, I'm, I'm not really a machismo guy. Yeah. Uh, and that's what all this stuff was. And I was like, yeah, I don't, I, I just don't want to do that. And they're, they're like, okay, well, they kind of came back to me and they're like, well, what show would you want to do? And I go, look, vets need a lot of help, uh, especially with transition and finding out where the, yeah. the, the places are to help. I said, let me do that. I go, let me make it funny as well, wherever I, I can make it funny. And they were like, yeah, absolutely. And we're still like, we're, we're talking of doing some things like I've mm -hmm. like, at first they were very like, they've seen my sense of humor on Twitter, which I've <laughs> gone through like eight accounts and they're like, we can't do that. And I'm like, no, I wouldn't do that. That's, that's for me. Yeah. That, I'm making myself laugh there. Yeah. You have to amuse um, yourself. Yeah. Can't always play to an audience. There is some things I want to do. In fact, uh, speaking of Opie and Anthony, I, if, if they'll let me, I want to steal the uh, homeless shopping spree and I don't <laughs> want to do that. I want to do veteran homeless shopping spree literally take homeless veterans and be like because i know they'll be like well i want to go to a sporting goods store and buy guns you know like yeah yeah like exactly that. just things that aren't <laughs> practical to the normal person's mindset yeah 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 that'd be awesome and like i i kind of want to do this alex stein thing where i take homeless veterans through like because uh, I'm in California and I'm not too far from LA, but want to take them through like Beverly Hills and be like, oh, hey, will you, will you sign this position? Like have one of my buddies like look like he's homeless. Be like, will you sign this position petition so that uh, uh, homeless Joe here can move? I <laughs> 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 just just try to get some of that shock value type of stuff. Oh, of course. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So that that's what I'm trying to make happen. Uh, it's a lot of coordination. I never realized oh, doing yeah. a show how much work it is uh, yeah. when it's not on camera. I can run my suck, as you can tell, all day long. <laughs> uh, that's the easy part. Yeah, yeah. But uh, yeah, in, in terms of, you know, behind the scenes stuff and, and the planning that goes into it, yeah, there's, um, there's a big difference. You know, I, I see... I mean, I never worked for Compound. I still don't work for Compound, but kind of knowing what goes behind the scenes there versus like a gas is like two different worlds in terms of prior planning. Um, you know, Compound, I, I have a lot of respect for, but hey, it's it's fly I'm... by the seat of their pants and I'm impressed with what they can do with that. Um, <laughs> you know, gas is, uh, they, they plan and I, you know, really, really work stuff out. And it's, it's just interesting to see the difference. But yeah, I, I know... I know what you're talking about. What I'll tell you what I need to start doing is start dipping my toe more into controversial stuff. Cause my, my show has been very vanilla. Mm -hmm. It's it, 
I always remind myself it's there to help people, but I do need to start doing like bring on people who are going to, you know, push the bounds a little bit because that's what people enjoy. And um, we've done that a little bit. I, I looks like I might be having Mindy Robinson come on the show. Oh. Uh, we've been talking with her people. Uh, so, you know, she's a firebrand. I like people like her yeah. who have a unique opinion, even if I don't agree with it, I want, I want the discussion. So that's what I'm sure. trying to do a little bit more of. Yeah. Well, and you know, controversial. It's you know, okay, controversial. How? I, I I mean, ostensibly, your audience is open to to new ideas. You know, here's someone out. If they like it, great. If they don't, well, wait till you know the next episode. You'll you'll have something else on another view to present uh, that that they can work over. And you know, honestly, I don't think that you're a functioning adult if you're not challenging your worldview and and changing your views. You know, as new evidence comes right. along. So I think it's a really important thing to be doing. I, I normally, uh, like the older I get, the more libertarian I get on stuff and right? I get people who, yeah, I, I get people, I very much approach things like a veteran would, uh, you know, like, uh, I don't do the, the, a lot the cars, guns, and knives, like how a lot of vet shows do. Mm -hmm. Uh, but I will do, uh, I, yeah, I will do, uh, inappropriate jokes i will do boobs i will do tattoos like I, i've been trying to get someone to sponsor i want to do a bad tattoo contest Ooh. where yeah we're we're it, it, you can't do your own tattoo but if you find a tattoo that sucks in the wild and mm -hmm. send it into the show like that would be or or like hashtag it to me on uh, twitter or something that would enter you into the contest and you know i I've done contests where like, Hey, I'll give you a, a sweatshirt and that's fine. Yeah. But I'm really trying, I, I like, I'm, I've been sending these query letters out to ammo and gun companies being like, Hey, yeah. will you sponsor this contest? Yeah. You know, cause yeah. if, if someone can win a gun or, you know, you know, 400 rounds of ammo, that's a really good prize for, oh God, you yeah. know, finding a really horrible tattoo. And there's no lack of horrible tattoos out there. There uh, are not. <laughs> <laughs> I will do an exception. Somebody sends in an, an arm tattoo on an older person's forearm. <laughs> I will say this. There, I will have a no Eastside Dave rule. He's got okay. too many bad tattoos. Yeah, he would just win in a landslide. <laughs> just take first, second, and third place. <laughs> but, you know, like think of all the people in the military that would come in bragging about their tattoo, and it's like, you really put that on your body for the rest of your life? Uh, yeah, it's like... You know, there are certain things in life where you shouldn't try to cut corners or cut costs. And tattoos are, they're up there. They're up mm -hmm. there. <laughs> you know, that's one thing that's, okay, another thing about the military that's wrong with the military. Uh, the military, if you've had multiple sexual harassment or sexual assault uh, investigations, but they never could really prove anything, yeah, you can become an officer. However, if you have a tattoo that's on your sleeve, you cannot become an officer. Insane. Think of how many great people that we've passed over who could have oh, yeah. been in a position where someone who didn't make, you know, bad choice to have a tattoo, but made other bad choices, they're getting in, but the other ones are just completely disqualified. How crazy is that? Oh, it's, it's insane. Yeah, it's all the wrong metrics. And, I can be uh, a man wearing a dress in the military now, but I can't have a sleeve tattoo. I, that's, that is what's so crazy. And I, I think about this often. Um, so when I came into the military, when I left for boot camp in, uh, 
2009, Don't Ask, Don't Tell was still in place for like another two years before they repealed it. And, uh, you know, I probably, I would say the right, right step. I mean, cool or whatever. By the time I got out here just, you know, a couple of weeks ago, they had uh, instructions for how to do your analysis for a transgender person. And it's like the sea change that took place in, in really just over a decade is, is mind-boggling. I mean, it's warp yeah. speed. And, uh, you know, do I think gays and lesbians, bisexuals should be able to serve? Yeah, sure. Why, you know, why not? If, if you can hit the wickets, you know, what's... <laughs> What's the problem? Um, should I have to watch someone with a penis give a urine sample? I'm gonna go. I'm gonna say no. Yeah. Let's uh, yeah. let's let's draw a line. So, so yeah, I mean the changes have just been kind of shocking. <laughs> <laughs> but so I I would think you know something that can change that radically. Then you know something like hey maybe sexual harassers abusers no you don't get to commission guy with tattoos. Yeah, uh, whatever. Let's just call it, uh, you know, no big and deal. That's gonna, Mulligan. You know, now that's going to be the defense against sexual harassment. Like, I, I wasn't sexually harassing. I'm transgender, and they have a problem with my my sexuality. That will absolutely come up, I, without a doubt. I, I would, I would have to think so. And, and I think, you know, and this isn't anything against transgender people. I, I think in terms of service, it is a privilege to serve, not a right. And if you have that mindset, it really explains a lot. And like, are are we going to allow a trans male to go topless during PT? Yeah, yeah. You know, that's one thing I do laugh about the whole trans thing. I'm I'm going to be the first to admit I don't get it. Um, I, I don't even kind of get it. Yeah, uh, I can tell you. Too. For trans males to say, "No, I'm a male. You should treat me like a male." I'm just like you don't want me to treat you like I do other men nope. because we treat each other horribly. Yeah. And the very first thing I'm going to do is be like, how about you show me your tits, bro? Yeah. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. It, it's, you know, there's definitely uh, you know, whether you're, you're male, you're female, there's certain things <laughs> you're going to be predisposed to. And uh, you know, the, the cultural shock I think is going to hit, you know, mm -hmm. transgender yeah. just like it, would anyone else who all of a sudden, you know, they're, they're being treated differently. And by being treated differently, they're being treated the same as, as the gender that they want to conform to. And, uh, you know, it's going to be a shock. I yeah. Think. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, but the best thing about the military is the people that you meet, the cultures that you go. I lived in the UAE for yeah. a year, would not have done that without the military lived yeah. in Dubai. Um, so that was that was a great experience. Uh, but the people like I'm still in contact with so many people. In fact, I, I told you before the show, I've got a friend of mine, uh, Sam Nashag. He's down in Tampa Bay. He's running for Congress. And I will like anyone that I served with. If you t say, hey, I'm running, would you donate? I'm probably going to donate to you awesome. uh, because I know you as a person, that type of thing. Yeah. But this is a guy, if he says, hey, I want you to come out here to Florida and help me with my campaign, I would absolutely do it. He's just that great of a guy. Wow. Um, but you come into contact with so many people like that. And, yeah. uh, you know, I try to support everyone that, you know, I've had Marines who've got out and owned businesses and like, you know, stuff like that. And I've, I'm like, hey, here's 40 bucks. Send me a T-shirt for your bar or, you know, stuff like that. So I, right. I really try to and they 
we do a pretty good job supporting each other. I will say that. Yeah, I, I think that's that's a big thing. Certainly something that I need to rededicate myself more towards is mutual support uh, um, and all that good stuff. Monetarily, I'm a little <laughs> little hamstrung at the moment, but hey, I can I can throw a few bucks around here and there. So, um, well, I mean, just like um, you know. I don't know if you've seen Indies Coffee. I support them. That's a, a Marine who started his own coffee company. And uh, I brought them on the show. And I told my co-host, TC, who you know, mm -hmm. uh, hey, you, I've interviewed him on our show. You should interview him on your show. And when he did, that was how TC made the connection. They were like, look, we'll start a roast. And if you sell it through your show, you get all the proceeds. Um, and and yeah. that's how... You know, these Which connections me, are... I need to buy coffee <laughs> <laughs> from one or both of them. So thank you for the reminder. I, I bought from both now and it's excellent coffee. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah. But I, yeah, I like supporting like especially small business owned by veterans, which oh, yeah. I now have my own. Uh, yeah. I'm doing baby steps. I'm learning a lot about business. Mm -hmm. um, and, and I would encourage every Marine, well, every Marine, every veteran out there mm -hmm. to do your own business because there's a lot of, uh, a lot of things out there that we can take advantage of that other people cannot. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Whether it's like a, you know, some sort of business loan, you know, a, a small Small business there's, of America. There's business loans and grants, and that's where everyone thinks. But there, you'd think there'd be more. There's some. Yeah. Uh, but you'd think there'd be a lot more. But there, there's actually things through the government. Like we can, uh, veteran businesses can get property that the government is selling for one tenth of its original cost. So yeah. if you're looking to buy a vehicle for your business, and let's say it's a six, it was a sixty thousand dollar Lexus that's now four years old. You're paying six grand for it. Wow. Wow. Yeah. I need more information on how to game the system, you know, leverage it to my advantage. Wow. Oh, I'm I'm absolutely a sea lawyer when it comes to that. I'm like, oh, here's what you need to do. Okay. Well, yeah, I'd have to, uh, you know, Skipper's sea uh, lawyer and services on <laughs> your new new business venture. Do some consulting for us, uh, us uninitiated. <laughs> awesome. Well, um, I talked about your life, your service, um, and, uh, and, and the different ways that you've given back, you know, whether it's, it's donating to, uh, to a campaign of, of someone you served with or supporting a, a coffee venture, um, and, and getting the word out through your show, of course, too. Uh, do you have anything else you want to plug or, uh, or even words of advice, someone thinking about joining? Um, yeah, for, for joining, do your research, uh, know what you're getting into, um, at least be in somewhat okay shape. Uh, the military will get you into better shape. That's for sure. Mm -hmm. uh, for uh, stuff that I have, uh, I'm on, we've got a Facebook group, uh, Veteran Nation on Facebook. Uh, my show goes out on New Right Network and Right America Media, uh, live streamed on Facebook. I'm trying to, with every episode, I try to live stream it on youtube that doesn't always work out the best because mm -hmm. i'm doing it secondary but i always put the shows up there that's where our archive is so if you look veteran nation up on youtube mm -hmm. it's, it's absolutely in there uh on true social i'm at veteran nation on uh twitter i'm at vet nation show and at vet or at vet nation pod and at vet nation host i've run two accounts and i'm also on instagram at vet nation show Awesome. Well, and uh, when this episode comes out on 
via podcast and on YouTube. I'm going to put all your links below as well. So people and can, I'll uh, push it out as well. All right. Awesome. Well, uh, Skipper, thank you so much for being on today, sharing your story and um, have to have you on again soon. Oh, anytime you need me. <laughs>